snowflakes of marijuana in my drink. It's legal here. I'm allowed to talk about it now. Posthumous success. That's what I'm aiming for because it's not happening while I'm alive. Anyway. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aura Van Dank and I'm back. It's been two months, but I'm back because I moved and this is a new place and a new home. I'm in California where I live now, so that's nice. Palm Springs. Are we gonna call it season three? Did we even call last time I took a break season two? Was there ever a season one? I don't know that this show even has seasons, but I'm back and I took a break. So we're in some sort of return mode from a transitional phase. And I'm now in a different time zone than I used to be. Not that that affects anything at all having to do with this podcast, but I finally got my little studio set back up. Um, my banner and everything is no longer green screen. It's real and manipulatable. So I'm able to do these things, touch the things behind me like I never do. Yeah, I drove across the country with my boyfriend to North Carolina to get things because it's a pandemic and I don't really want to get on a plane with a bunch of other people who might have the thing. And I also don't want to live in North Carolina anymore. It's hard to get back into the swing of things, isn't it? Isn't it, darling? I'm not even like starting to do my makeup. I don't even know what this podcast involves anymore. Oh god, okay. I got here to Palm Springs, um, technically outside of Palm Springs, but it really doesn't matter. And like a weekend it rained two days in a row in the desert of California. And I can only assume that that's my fault and that I brought back some of that like wet, soupy atmosphere from southeastern America. And I have to apologize to everybody here for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I brought disgusting weather to your beautiful sunny state, but it sticks on you when you live in North Carolina for 10 years. It, like, it comes with you. So, I apologize. My apologies. Yeah, um, on the note of driving cross-country, it's a pretty boring country. I have to be real. I'm gonna go through it. I only went- we didn't go through very many states, so I'm gonna- I'm gonna list it like this. I mean, I lived in North Carolina for 10 years. You guys know how I feel about that. Next state over was Tennessee, and first and foremost, Tennessee has absolutely no business at all being that long across horizontally. I feel like we drove through Tennessee for eight days until we got to Arkansas? Is that what's after Tennessee? I think. And that's just boring. It's just, you know, it's like a transition from green mountainy into green flat. And then from there, it's into green flat to not green flat. And it doesn't get interesting until, like, Arizona. So, honestly, don't know why, like, so many wars were fought for that land that we decided to do nothing with besides build I-40 on it. Like, there was literally nothing out in the middle of nowhere. Just nothing. <sighs> okay, yeah, I don't like it. And I'll never do it again. Um, and the next time I travel will be when COVID's over, obviously, because I've moved already. That's taken care of, and I'm never driving across the country again. I already don't like long car rides, so a three-day car ride was probably my literal worst nightmare. But compromises have to be made sometimes to get what you want in life, so here we are. In two months of me, you know, moving and finishing school and doing all the fun things that I've been doing, I've had a ton of time to work on wigs and costumes. All nine yards, ten yards, however many yards there are in that work, I've done them and I've participated in most of them. I'm gonna start doing my makeup now. So yeah, I have some new looky loos and new wigs because you know I don't like wearing the same wig twice, but we've had to recycle a couple so far. However, I have new ones, and recycling won't have to happen for a few more weeks, which is nice. That's always nice. I love new weeks. 
Yeah, I was doing hair, new costumes, so I was like, hey, maybe I can even audition for Drag Race because a lot of the requirements for the auditions include having a lot of costumes and stuff. Not that I don't, but, you know, I'm picky. So I had a ton, and I was like, I should do this. So I was looking at the requirements, I even filled out half of the application, and then I was like, wow, I'm moving across the country, finishing a degree. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that on this podcast, but it was a lot of work, so I'm proud of myself. And it just wasn't the time for me. So, maybe 15, because 1, 5, I don't know, I like good even increments of 5. Things that are divisible by 3. It blows my, like, physical brain to pieces that I live this close to LA, when that was kind of like a, oh, one day, when I'm, like, super famous and successful, I'll be able to go there and visit. But, you know, it's just a place at the end of the day, and people live here, and there's a whole lot of suburbs. I've also been spending lots of time expanding my list and looking into cases that I should research and do for this show so I have a whole lot of content lined up for you guys. I have interviews with like three different podcast things so those will be coming out soon. I definitely haven't been doing nothing this whole time. Um, That's definitely not the case. So I do have lots of content ready and waiting for you guys uh, whenever you're ready. Actually it's more like whenever I'm ready to release it. We're still doing a weekly thing here, you guys. You're not getting more than you bargained for. I don't, you don't pay me enough for that. I don't pay myself enough for that. I've found a lot of interesting trials and cases and murders and crimes that really deserve a spotlight that they never got. Through a few different new resources that I found, there's actually a lot of good websites, including, because we're gonna get good at this in season this one, findagrave.com. I feel like it doesn't get enough credit. The obituaries on there are always left by family or friends, so it like gives you that information about high schools, hometowns, that kind of thing, and birth date, death date, everything. Like, findagrave.com is honestly a fantastic resource for true crime people. And again, nobody sponsors me. I'm just giving you my objective, honest opinion about good resources on the internet. An AJC article by Alexis Stone. That's not true. Alexis Stone is an Instagram drag queen. Alexis Stevens. A Project Q Atlanta article by Matt Henney. A website called Our Community Ruth, which is like an LGBT community history sort of website. And it just says admins on the pages that they post and the articles that they post, but all of the admins at that website are exceptionally good at their job. Those are my sources for this week. And through those sources, I found the case of a 2014 devastating murder of an Atlanta drag legend, Miss Kitty Litter. Samuel Ray Collins Jr. was born in Sulphur Springs, Tennessee on August 7th, 1954. A Leo sister. Not gonna lie, I'm just living my life as if I'm 13 again because I just googled goth color palettes for this episode and I'm doing my makeup based off of this matter. I'm just a 13 year old goth girl. Laura means I love you, a dinosaur. Ooh. <clears throat> I'm gonna drink some more of this pop up. And I don't mean that this is like edibles or anything. Like, I literally just dropped some cannabis flower in my cup of water. Not on purpose. Anyway, he was born to parents Samuel Collins and mother Loda Palmer Utzman. And when he was a child, he had the nickname Butch. And from what I've read, he seemed to be somewhat of a high energy and definitely rambunctious child. Liked to play a lot. Had like this jumping bean kind of energy. You know, the kids who are just always kind of like vibrating because they have so much energy in them, like a small. He was described a couple times as having an undeniable zest for life. 
So that kind of person who's always looking to make an adventure out of it, make a journey out of it. Samuel grew up in Sulphur Springs, which is the teeniest, tiniest little town in Tennessee that I, like, I find it hard to believe even had a Walmart. He went to high school there and college. I can imagine that in that small town setting, flamboyant Samuel uh, went through some shit. From an early age, Samuel had a love for sewing and crafting. He was a very creative person, so we always saw costumes and outfits and things that people generally wouldn't think to make garments out of. He had this eye for making things that have kind of lost their shine, beautiful, and shiny again. He liked to go thrifting and fix things up and antiquing and fix those things up and just make things beautiful again. Maybe in a way that they weren't beautiful before even, like turning an umbrella into a piece of clothing or a coat rack into a an armoire somehow. I'm not sure, but these are the types of things that Samuel liked to do from a young age, so it's pretty impressive. And that sort of mindset leads me to think that maybe, like a lot of drag queens, even including myself sometimes, Samuel kind of saw himself as like an antique diamond in the rough kind of thing that he could also make glamorous and shiny like a drag queen. On that note, um, by the time he turned 18, Samuel had became a part of the LGBT community in Atlanta and like Johnson City, Tennessee, and the cities in between that had any semblance of a gay scene or a gay bar, and had started doing drag because he was always creative, he always had that garment maker in him and that fashion designer, so drag was kind of a very natural step for Samuel to take in his life, and that's what he became, Miss Kitty Litter. Kitty Litter also has to be one of my all-time favorite drag queen names, next to Bimini Bamboulash from Drag Race UK and Chicky Farm, because those are just fantastic drag names. It doesn't get better than that. When a drag name in itself is pure entertainment, that's when you know you've made it. As time went on with her new drag persona, Kitty Litter, she was basically always in drag. Um, that was kind of common for queens at that time, and by this time it was like, very early 70s, so drag was more of a lifestyle then than it is now. I think for a lot of people, drag is sort of this thing that they do on the weekends, but then in that time, it was a big risk you were taking, so drag was really only something you did if you were very, very passionate about it and good at it. And even though Kitty was one of those people who ended up living her life, like, every day in some sort of drag, whether it be, like, very light day drag where she could pass as a cisgendered woman out in public to, you know, big drag Kitty Litter. She wasn't, like, huge makeup, though. She was more of a, um, glamour pageant queen. Very, very gorgeous. And being so gorgeous and just good at drag made Kitty a very popular queen very fast. Yes, I just started my eyeshadow before setting my face makeup. We're moving past that. By the mid-1970s, Kitty had co-founded a drag trio traveling, touring drag queen group called the Grease Sisters with the legendary Lily White and Alvina Laverne. The Grease Sisters went across the country touring and performing at some of the most popular gay spots at the time. The Grease Sisters had a pretty successful run. When they would go perform solo, though, it would be like Alvina from the Grease Sisters or Lily from the Grease Sisters, and they didn't like that because they were drag queens and we all have fairly ginormous egos. So they disbanded and they all went solo for more one-on-one -on -one attention when they were on stage 
I get it. Kitty, however, was a big fan of working in groups and tended to stay paired up or grouped up when she could. So she later teamed up again with Miss Lily White and they toured for a while as a duo after the Gree sisters. But again, they disbanded to go solo because drag queens. But even after that, Kitty wanted to stay working in a duo or group of some kind. So she worked with one of the most legendary drag queens of Atlanta, Mr. Charlie Brown. Sickening. Kitty had a stellar drag career and partied and worked her way through the 70s and 80s doing drag at the most famous clubs in the southeast and making a name for herself and becoming famous. She was busy and over the next 42 years traveled across 12 states into 36 cities and worked at over 200 bars in 200 shows. Over. She had a very successful drag career. As that career formed and Kitty's name became sort of a household drag name, she became a matriarch of the Atlanta drag scene. Lily White was quoted saying regarding Kitty, she was kind and sweet to all the drag queens coming up in the time period. She really became that queen that Anybody could go to and ask questions about starting drag, being in drag, getting booked in shows. The mother, the drag mother to everybody at the bar. She was genuinely the matriarch of that community. When Kitty was around 50 years old, she uh, got lonely and decided she wanted a man. So she put herself into the dating ring and met a man named Frank Davis Bowles. Frank was a complicated man with a complicated past who had more than a few run-ins previously with law enforcement. Frank had a reputation of being quite a mess and just generally causing a lot of problems. And Kitty found him and they fell in love. You know, love is love. It's blind. I've made some terrible choices too, Kitty. We've all made some choices. People are very deceptive. Kitty never minded his jaded past because she was the kind of person who always thought the best of people. And if you told her that you were a changed man, she would believe you. She had no reason not to. She was very trusting. The relationship started out, you know, honeymoon, picture perfect. They were happy. They were in love. Kitty had no complaints. Frank had no complaints. And... Didn't take long for things to take a turn. After a few months, Kitty and Frank began to fight about every little thing from how warm or cold dinner was to the color of the walls in the house, what they were watching on TV. The smallest things that should have been little petty biffs here and there turned into huge blowout arguments that would get physical, that would get really deep and hurtful, and the relationship became toxic very quickly. Eventually, Kitty and Frank broke up because they figured that it just wouldn't work. And a few months go by of them operating independently of each other, and they decide that they're good. The past few months of them being apart were good, so they would get back together. And thus began that cycle that many of us know and have seen many times of an abusive relationship. They would live together happily for a few weeks, and they would coexist perfectly, and then things would start to blow up and they break up. But the thing was they lived together and even when they broke up, neither of them would move out and they would just kind of live in the same place, maybe spend more time working and away from home, but they would still live together, which never made it easy for them to completely split from each other and end that relationship 
for good. And that was sort of the state of things with Frank and Kitty when we arrived in August of 2014. Things are tumultuous to say the least. And Kitty's turning 60. She celebrates her 60th like any drag queen would with a party and all of her friends. She has a great time. Things seem normal to everybody. It's a social event. Nothing's out of the ordinary. Kitty might be complaining about her boyfriend, but that's not something that's abnormal. Basically, she didn't say anything alarming that night that would have led anybody to believe that the events next month would take place. I always skip September, but September happened first. And then we arrived in October of 2014. On the night of October 3rd, 2014, dinner had just been served at Frank and Kitty's place. And as they were eating, a fight broke out about the way dinner was cooked. It's not really clear who was upset about what or what exactly about dinner had caused this fight, but that's not really what the important thing is. The important thing is that these fights about any little thing would always, always turn volatile with Kitty and Frank. Tensions were particularly high at that point because by most accounts, Kitty and Frank were exes. But like I said, they still lived together. Not to say they lived together peacefully when they were exes, so this was just a very volatile situation. Especially considering that Frank is a violent, shitty person. Things turned physical in the fight, and at some point Frank went, retrieved and loaded his gun, and then came back and shot Kitty multiple times, leaving Kitty Collins, as she popularly went by at the time, dead at 60 years old in her home. Frank put the gun down, sat down, and started drinking, like any good man would do in this situation. After he drank enough to deal with the murder he had just committed and do more terrible things, Frank dragged Kitty's body into the back of their house and stashed it in the woods behind their home and then got in Kitty's van because he's a piece of shit and did not have his own car and drove it to Tennessee drunk while drinking more, obviously. He would pull over here and there to pass out and sober up enough to drive again where he would drink and drive, like, physically, literally drink and drive, and get drunk again until he passed out on the side of the road once more. Finally, one of these pass-out sessions that he was having, somebody passing by reported his car as abandoned, and the police came to check and found him there, passed out, and blasted. He couldn't do a whole lot of explaining at this point, because he was so intoxicated, and the police searched him, and when the police searched him for an ID, they found Samuel Collins, or Kitty Collins' ID, in his possession, and realized that it was a car registered to Samuel Collins, and that Samuel Collins was not present, and lived in Georgia, not Tennessee, where Frank currently was, drunk, on the side of a road, in a van not belonging to him. Using the address on Kitty's ID that they had found, the police contacted Cobb County in Georgia and let them know that there was something sketchy going on with that address and that person. So Cobb County police went out to the home of Kitty Collins and Frank, and in the woods behind the home, they found Kitty's lifeless body. It had been there for two days at that point. It didn't take a whole lot of investigating to find out who had committed the murder, considering the boyfriend, the confirmed boyfriend of the victim, was found in possession of the victim's car, an ID, and general belongings, drunk on the side of the road in a different state, and the victim is back home dead in the backyard. 
They brought him in and charged him with murder in the first degree. Frank was issued Charles Norman as a public defender because he was Frank and he wasn't about to hire a lawyer with the money that he didn't have. And Charles, that lawyer, got up in the situation and was just like, plead guilty, just plead guilty. There's no getting out of this. Just make everybody's life easier and shorten this trial. So Frank pled guilty and received a sentence of life in prison, which he is still serving to this day. Some of Kitty's sisters, two of them, her biological sisters, were present at the trial. They were quoted with statements forgiving Frank and saying that he is not a bad person and that what he did is bad. And I have no comment or anything about any of that because they are older women and I guess they are making peace with what time they have left on this earth. That is macabre. I am dark. I'm not surprised. They forgave him begrudgingly for murdering their brother. They definitely made it clear that they are not happy with it, obviously, and that they're very upset, but that they forgive Frank for what it's worth. Kitty Litter is an iconic Atlanta drag queen who still casts his shadow in the southeast and leaves a very sparkly pair of stilettos empty. Lily White said she has many friends and we're all trying to get over it now. I don't think I'll ever get over it. I never expected her to get murdered, especially by her ex-boyfriend. It's devastating. She was like my sister, so small and petite, one of the most beautiful drag queens I'd ever seen. She looked like a doll and everyone loved her. She didn't have any enemies. Everyone is going to miss her. And that's definitely something I saw ring true throughout the entire time that I researched this case. People miss Kitty Litter. And with that, I'm gonna leave y'all for some transformation magic with eyelashes and wigs and all of the things that we love about drag and drag queens. Bye. Okay, yeah, that's the look as a moment. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. My return to you all in podcast form, in video form, on social media. Like I said, I've made some new podcasting friends. So look out for me on a few different podcasts. I'll be in three, I think I've counted. So I'm back, bitches, babies, motherfuckers. Bitch, baby, motherfuckers, I'm here, I'm queer, and I'm gonna tell you more stories about murder. So stay tuned for that. Follow my social media at Aura Van Dank at Murders of Drag, depending on what kind of content you want. Aura Van Dank is just this hoe right here posting about my daily hoe things. And then Murders of Drag only posts about this series and these episodes. So, yeah, follower discretion is advised, I guess. I hope you guys have a fantastic day, night, whenever you watch this, whenever you listen to it. Quit your job if you're at work right now. Just fucking quit it. I mean, fuck it. It's 2020. 2021 now. And the other year that we just had sucked. So quit your job, ditch your kids, leave your family, and come move to Palm Springs with me. Let's fucking party and drink. Uh, I hope you learned something from this episode. I hope you learned something from all of my episodes. Miss Kitty Litter was an iconic Southeastern drag queen who made national fame now for herself post-mortem. Posthumously, not post-mortem. That's a little bit more immediately after death. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week.